everybody, I'm Ryan Spooner, and welcome to the latest installment of the Armchair Sports Podcast. April Fool's! I got him! Uh, got you guys, didn't you? thought it was Armchair Sports, but it's... Welcome to the Fresh Little Horror Podcast, the only podcast that takes six months off and hopes you don't notice. <laughs> I'm your host, Chris Donovan. And I'm Ryan Spooner. Just honored to be part of this show today, especially with Donovan bringing down jokes like that. Hey, hey how you doing, guys? Uh, so we'll take a quick second to acknowledge the fact that, you know, we haven't recorded a professional horror podcast episode in some time. The reason for that is simple. Scheduling people is more difficult than I thought. So Donovan found the one friend that doesn't have that much of a life. <laughs> yeah, people have, like, jobs <laughs> and things. So I've been trying to have a second episode since around Thanksgiving. We were going to watch Thanksgiving. That fell through. We were going to watch A Christmas Horror Story. That fell through. But Professional Horror Podcast is back, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to be doing some changes to the format to accommodate for such difficulties in uh, scheduling. We're going to be splitting up. If you guys may remember the first episode, we did a Halloween review. And then we did a list of top five movies you should watch on Halloween. We're going to be splitting up reviews and the list videos, list podcasts, I should say, so that they come out separately, come out a week after one another. So that way, if I can't find anyone to record for a couple weeks, the gap in recording won't seem so bad because you'll have another episode the next week. I think that's just dandy. I hope you agree. So we're going to start off this podcast as we always do, or as we did the first time, with a segment I call First Blood where we get to know the people involved in this podcast. You get to know what kind of things we like in the horror genre. And you get a good insight into the kind of things we look for when we watch horror movies. So you want favorite horror movie of all time. We want your favorite horror subgenre. Mine, of course, is Nightmare on Elm Street, the 1984 classic. And my favorite subgenre are creature features and slashers. What about you, Ryan? What do you, what do you fancy in the horror genre? Well, Chris, I, I like slashers myself. I have, uh, I have a nice, healthy love for Halloween. Um, I know I've mentioned that to you several times. I also like... I also like I'm not sure what the genre is. You'll have to help me out here. But American Psycho, like the ones that uh, really make uh, you think. I would call those psychological thrillers. Okay, psych- okay, so put me down for those as well. Mm. Um, I really like Christian Bale and American Psycho. Mm. Um, the second one with Mila Kunis, it's not so much. Yeah. Certain parts are okay. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but I do. I like. I like. I like being able to think. And obviously, when you throw a little bit of suspense in, I love horror. Mm. I, don't, I. I really don't have a lot of horror movies I dislike. Yeah. I'm with you on Nightmare on Elm Street. I do. I think Freddy Krueger just unmatched. Yeah. When you're able to make movies, you know, thirty years in between, mm-hmm. and they're still outstanding. Yeah. So what would you say for your favorite horror movie, though? Is, are you going with American Psycho? Or are you going, oh yeah, another one for us. I think for me, it's Halloween. I've right. I've watched the Scream ones. Scream's good. I've never minded it. I watched those actually much younger than I probably should have. Yeah. Um, when they came out in the you know the late nineties and ninety eight. But yeah, I think I think Halloween will be my all time favorite. Halloween's one of those one of those good safe picks that you can just mention it. And that's like a lot of people's favorite movie, and with good reason. It's just it's beautiful. It's yeah. A beautiful so, film. It is. So as we alluded to with the hilarious intro that you guys all died laughing over. We certainly hope. It's April Fool's Day, or it will be when you guys are listening to it, maybe. So we're looking at the 1986 original version of April Fool's Day, not the 2008 remake, because the original's better. Originals are usually better. And so we're going to start off with a little conversation about April Fool's Day. So initial thoughts. Let me, let me first just say, I completely agree with you on the originals being yeah. better. Did you hear that? 
Rob Zombie. Ugh, you said it. This is the second episode we talked about the goddamn Halloween remake. Why? It's April Fool's Day. Let's talk some April Fool's Day, the film. So initial thoughts, Ryan, what'd you think of April Fool's Day? I have to tell you, based on what very little you told me about it mm -hmm. when you first asked me to do this with you, yeah. um, I thought the movie was much better. Oh, I was yeah. pleasantly surprised with how much I ended up enjoying it. I was originally afraid when the movie got going, and I know we'll get more into that momentarily, mm -hmm. but I have to say, compared to when you and I first talked about it and the concept of it, Mm -hmm. Obviously, when you have the name April Fool's, I'm assuming you know there's there's some kind of connotation involved with the date itself. Mm -hmm. But I actually ended up enjoying it much more than I thought. Yeah, I definitely think that the decision to call this movie April Fool's Day, and we'll get into that more as we get closer to the ending discussion, I do think that was an issue with this movie, because it does sort of narrow the scope of where the story can go. However, I, when I first watched it, I was kind of like, yeah, this is a, you know, it's a passable slasher. It's kind of doing what it is, a little bit of a, and then there were none style storytelling, which I do enjoy. But the second time I watched it, which is, you know, very recently, I liked it so much more than when I first, like, saw it. Because I guess I just relate to it a lot more. I mean, the entire cast of characters is just college seniors, not knowing what they're going to go next year, not knowing what they're going to do. And as someone who is graduated college a couple years ago, though I, I feel them feels, if you know what I mean. So, Chris, mind if I ask you a question? Go right ahead. Since you have much more vast knowledge mm -hmm. in, these, uh, in this genre than I do, what are some things that you look for when you're looking for either a movie for this podcast or qualities just in any good slasher movie? As far as movies for this podcast, I have a list of movies I want to talk to you. Mainly, it's I see a lot of obscure horror movies. And I love talking about movies. I love it so much. But most of the, of the movies I have seen, no one else has seen. So I can't be like, oh, have you guys seen this one? Let's talk about it. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? What movie are you talking about? So that's that. I mean, I just there's going to be a wide array of genres and movies talked about on this show just because the movies I enjoy or maybe they're movies I hate so much I need to talk about them. As far as what I look for in a good slasher, typically speaking, in horror movies in general, you need a good villain, I feel like, or you can substitute a good villain for a good whodunit element, a good mystery. Like um, some of the famous slashers, like Friday the 13th, most people, you know, instantly think of as Jason Voorhees tagging people. But the first one was a whodunit, and that's why it was really good, because it focused on all these different characters getting killed and we don't know who's doing it. And the other ones that are very good and successful, you have Halloween with a very consistent and very intriguing antagonist, Michael Myers, same with Elm Street and Freddy Krueger. So I look for strong villains, I look for or intriguing mysteries, and I look for just creativity because there's so many movies out there that are just the five kids go to a cabin in the woods, five kids go to an island, five kids are, you know, having a party, and they all get slashed up by someone in a mask. Some of those can be fun, where you just like, turn your brain off, turn on the movie, and just enjoy yourself for an hour and a half. But those aren't the ones that stick with you. You want the ones that are really, through one way or another, just grab your attention. I think April Fool's Day will qualify as one of those movies, because even though the whodunit element isn't as well done in the second half of the movie, it, is, it, it does become kind of clear. There are some interesting twists, there's some interesting ideas being thrown around, and the sort of backdrop of April Fool's Day and the whole setup of the house is very intriguing. We talked about how the title ruins the ending, but after the first 10 minutes, you might not think that because it's clearly April Fool's Day 
in the movie when they go there and they're all playing pranks of various degrees on each other. So you have the film, it starts off with the boat sequence and they there's a bunch of usually guys playing pranks on the girls on the boat, even though they're all supposed to be friends. I never got that whole concept of a group of five friends and all the guys are like mercilessly hitting on all the girls. I'm like, aren't you guys friends? Isn't that the whole concept we're going for? Well, I think you noticed in the movie, and, and again, correct me at any point, mm-hmm. but, like, Nan seemed to be very random where she didn't seem to have the connection with everyone else because everyone, like, they kind of knew who she was, but they didn't know much. Yeah, all of them are connected through her, but not as right. much through each we other. each other, so maybe that maybe yeah. that goes against what you were just describing with the yeah. character attraction. The first thing I wrote down was there was so much sexual innuendo in the first ten minutes. Yeah. I was like, Jesus, am I watching a typical teen movie or like what's yeah. the deal I was really surprised though that for an 80s movie how like how non-homophobic it was there's mm. that one scene where the two guys they're like they find out they're sharing a bedroom and they just like leap into each other's arms and they're like oh, yeah. joking around joking I'm, around. Like, yeah. I'm like wow most 80s movies would be like no we're gonna spread these beds apart we're not even gonna look at each other because we're men Grr. I'm like oh you know this is a fun movie people having fun in it I enjoyed those little touches I wish I could tell you that I've never joked like that before but yeah, I, I'd be lying to you um, so going to the beginning of the movie my big concern when I first started watching the movie aside from all the sexual innuendo where I was like <laughs> my goodness can we move on to something yeah. else was that I felt that there was so much happening in the first 10 minutes of mm-hmm. the movie you had all the characters getting introduced mm-hmm. you had the, fr- the last few people rushing on to the boat then you really started getting into the plot of the movie where people were you know playing pranks on each other yeah and my biggest concern with the movie was that where are we going from here yeah it's one of those things where we have a we have a fake uh drowning sequence when they get to the island where they're like ha ha april fools and then right after we have a real in quotation marks attack spoiler alert by the way guys Spoiler alert for April Fool's Day. I mean, if you haven't watched this movie, please probably don't listen, listen to, to this podcast. Yeah. We're going we're going in depth right now. But we have a a fake drowning scene followed by a quote real scene right afterwards. It's like we started out at a very introductory level of just, hey, bunch of friends having fun, woohoo. Instantly goes up to eleven, comes crashing back down, and then goes screaming back up again. In the span of about two minutes, I'd say. So, how did you feel about the? How did you feel about? I'm gonna call it the elevator effect, where it seemed like we were going to very different extremes very quickly in the movie. With really, not that it wasn't some sense of flow, yeah. but it just seemed to be very extreme. Yeah. When with April Fool's Day, once I started playing pranks, I was expecting the a couple of those. Oh no! I've been killed. No, it's sorry, April Fools, kind of moments. But I, I do think they were, the first 10 minutes is like trying to get so much across so that it can slow burn the rest of the movie that it does come off very rushed in the first 10 minutes. Because after that, it really, the, the pace slows down and it becomes much a much nicer film, that much neater film, I think. And the pranks are like more sprinkled throughout as opposed to just a screaming roller coaster ride of pranks and jump scares and stuff. But I think the first 10 minutes to get to sort of communicate a group of like 10 characters across and 
the situation at hand. I feel like it needed to do that to a certain extent. I just wish it was paced out over a couple more minutes. Was gonna, that was going to be my follow-up question. Yeah. Do you still think it was a little rushed that we could have at yeah. least gotten to know the characters? Right, because the the fake the uh, the fake death scene gets across, you know, the Joker characters, but then the quote real scene after gets over why the police and the boat guy aren't there for the rest of the movie, which is a good thing to sort of get across right away. It's an inst- It's like how in horror movies now, one of the first things that happens is all the cell phones stop working. They're in a dead spot. They're out of, there's no reception. That always happens so early so that the audience can just internalize, by the way, cell phones aren't an option. Don't even bring it up. And I think that was a thing for this movie to do. Despite the fact we're on an island and that's already kind of secluded, just have the moment to be like, by the way, cops are away. Just so you know. I just wish it was parsed out a little bit smoother. You mentioned a few moments ago, Chris, about, how, about the role of the antagonist. You mentioned mm-hmm. Jason Voorhees, Michael yes. Myers. What did you make of our antagonist in this movie, Muffy? Well, I, here's the thing about Muffy, too, is before things really start hitting the fan, she was a really fun character. She was really cool. She was, she was modest about her massive inheritance, which is a good thing about a character. She was really sidestepping all of the sexual innuendos being thrown her way. She was like, no, I'm just here to be a good host and have fun with all my friends, and I liked that about her. What was weird is I was saying that the mystery kind of unravels halfway through. Is because about halfway through, when we are almost certain it's Muffy, the only way to keep a mystery going is to bring in this idea of her twin sister, Buffy, which I just thought that was so strange. And random. To bring up a long-lost identical twin, even though it was it was done well enough in the covering of the how this could happen, with, like, you know, the cops saying, don't trust what Muffy says, the picture, you know, all that other stuff. I thought it was really fun, and it's, it's really fun, you know, 80s, don't think about it too much because it doesn't make much sense, but have fun at the moment kind of horror scene but it is really interesting how the, like the screenwriters assumed that halfway through were like okay cat's out of the bag how do we keep this mystery mysterious for the rest of this movie and that's just it's it's strange you don't see a lot of double twists in movies these days i started to get suspicious of her i made my notes while i was watching the movie. yeah yeah I started to get suspicious of her actually very early in the movie. There were two scenes that stuck out to me about her role in the movie mm-hmm. that I was really curious about what it was. The first was when they were in the dinner scene. They threw out the whoopee cushion yeah. and the, the glasses. What struck me at first, her, my first instance mm-hmm. of what are you up to? Yeah. Was the way that she provided the jokes and mm-hmm. the creepy way she got all serious when she said, April Fool's. Yeah. She kind of could have been. She could have been the third sister that was missing in the Shining scene. Oh, that was great. The way she delivered that, and I was like, that was kind of. Just had that sinister look on her face. Right. The second time was the serious way when it was Arch and who was the second person missing at that point? Was it Skip? Yeah, yeah. Skip's Skip's the first one to go because he. Oh, so maybe. Oh, so it was Arch and um, I think it was Nan. Yeah. At this point in the movie. The scene where they're discovering that there's no water and they have to go to the well mm-hmm. was when she said is when she said to Nikki mm-hmm. in that really serious and it over, it was almost monotonic. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about Arch and Nan. Yeah. It's probably just some prank. Yeah. That was the second time where she's it just the way 
her character delivered that yeah. in the movie, I was like, oh, you're up to something. Yeah. I And I, of course, I didn't know, obviously, at the time to what extent it was, but I had that written down here that, that those two scenes... Oh, yeah. ...was when I started to see the turn in her character. Because yeah. it does... It hints on it really early on, too, mm-hmm. because when they first move into the rooms, there's a prank in every room. There's some kind of clue going on, and some of them are very extreme. There's, you know, newspaper clippings of car accident, I believe, that, you know, four people were died in or something like that. And the fog. Yeah, and there's there's some drawer that someone opens and has heroin needles and, you know, all that other stuff. And there's a baby crying. And that was in man's machine. room. Like, some of them get very extreme very mm-hmm. quickly. So it is one of those things where it's like, this could be someone with a dark sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see... Like a bunch of you know you me and a bunch of our friends we got to, if we did something like this I could imagine us trying some of these things, but we'd all at the end be like come on man that was a bit much and like no one calls her out on it which I think is interesting. Also you mentioned the water, which the well scene is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's the one scene that I distinctly had in my head after the first time I watched it. When I watched it the second time I was like oh man can't wait for that well scene. It's so good. It's really well paced. It's really well shot. Doesn't make much sense, but it's good anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How after the bucket drops into the water, like he loses it on the rope, he's like, oh, "I'm not going down there," and she's like, "I'll go down." But when she falls in, I was just thinking, "Why didn't you just toss the rope down to her and have her climb up? Why did you climb down the rickety steps all the way down to her when you both could have fallen in? You guys could have been screwed." Every time I watch that, and I watch it a couple times afterwards too, I can just, like the suspense, I mean, this, this means it's good suspense. But when I watch it, I just feel like he's gonna fall and then you're just gonna see a top over the well just like slide over the top and like leave them to die in there. And it's just like, with the two heads and the body of Nan, I was like, oh no, what are you doing? Which that's good. I, there's not a lot of movies anymore that can give you that reaction where, that I feel, oh God, they're in danger when you know how it ends. So, good job, movie. But it's one of those horror movie decisions to start it off with where it doesn't make sense, and we just kind of got to roll with it. One thing over in that area of the movie, since we're Mm -hmm. over there, um, this is a scene with Arch when they're looking for the first two, Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think three at that point, bodies. Did you notice that while Arch was dangling from the tree, Mm -hmm. that when he has the heavy boot that rakes the snake over, Mm-hmm. Did you notice that the floor under the dirt and grass is visible and then it moves? I made several notes of certain things I picked up on during the movie. I didn't because I was looking at the fact that he used a real snake. <laughs> I yeah. was like, yes, a real snake. I noticed that. But I but I also so saw the happy. floor. I also saw the floor. I have a few notes of things yeah. during the movie. There's a decent chance it was because I did it on a stage. Yeah. But, but yeah, that was really that was a really interesting kind of scene to, to have because a lot of Muffy's actual plan, which we will get into at the very, very end, a lot of Muffy's plan does revolve around certain things happening correctly. Like in that scene, she said she did not expect there to be a snake. That snake bites him, it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, call 911, this is a real issue. But it doesn't happen. So there is a, a sense of her being lucky throughout this movie where just one or two things happen it's just it's like just as stressful watching it the second and third time knowing what the ending is just because there's so much that can go wrong in Muffy's plan 
Mm. But you're like, why are you even doing this? Why are you doing this and not letting anyone else in this? That's why it's a movie. It all works out perfectly. Yeah, yet. there you go. If there's one thing we love, it's happy endings. Oh, yeah. Love a happy ending. While we're talking about the deaths and the scenes and the things that could have gone wrong, mm-hmm. since you've seen the movie multiple times, yes, I, I, I need you to go back to the first time you watched it, I guess, where you didn't have mm-hmm. the, oh, I know where this, yeah. this goes and where this ends. What was the one scene of all the killings that seemed the most authentic to you and why? Because the thing about it, what's really interesting about this movie is even though there's a lot of murder, there's no violence. There's almost no bloodshed. There's almost mm-hmm. no... You don't see any of the interactions. anything. And the, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. That's such an interesting question because I was going to say the snake scene, but the fact that this, the person in the boots kicks the snake away first... I do believe is a really good hint as to what the ending actually is. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say, oh, he's hanging upside down, and he goes, oh, and then he's gone. But that snake, like, if, if it was a real killer, I feel like they just let the snake do their work. Because mm-hmm. that was a real snake he had there. I'm going to say the first one, say Skip, because he ends up underneath the boathouse, the, the boathouse a supply closet on mm-hmm. the dock, and you can see his body. And they find his knife. Yeah. So you can inst- you instantly know, hey, this guy is gone, as opposed to everyone else where it's like you don't know for a while that they, they're even missing. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say that one is because you see it first in one place and then it's moved to somewhere else, mm-hmm. which is strange. That was going to be my answer if, you, yeah. if I had gotten the question back yeah. from you. Was uh, I thought that was the most authentic. Again, because we don't see all the violence, yeah. it's more realistic that A, it moved, and you found the middle common ground when they found the knife on the dock yeah. where the boat cut <clears throat> off. It's, really, it's a really good movie. Mm. <laughs> Actually, the more it's, it, there's some movies that you enjoy, and you talk about them, and then the movie just fall, falls apart when you talk about it. I kind of like this movie the more I talk about it, because... It manages to get all of this emotion out there, a lot of like the suspense and scares, and I don't think it's a drop of blood, except for maybe like the eye scene, I think, and like mm-hmm. the fake at the very, very, very end. But yeah, it's it's like that's the reason why this movie has become as popular as it has. It became sort of a cult hit is because of that, because it had such it was so light on violence. It was it was on late night TV a lot, and a lot of people watched it through that. Similar to how uh, It's a Wonderful Life became so popular because it could be shown on TV for free because they lost the copyright. I don't know how I just connected It's a Wonderful Life with April Fool's Day. But that was very impressive. But I did it. That That's I'm, how you... I'm top of my class. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how you can tell that Chris Donovan truly is a professional in this film. I'm top of my class there in you everything. Go. By the way, another thing I left is no... I don't know how you... Yeah. Just, uh, just, this was just me being funny. The sex scene with Rob and Kit... Yeah. When, when Arch falls out of the second, you yeah. know, collapsible chair... Yeah. Um... I'm not an expert in yeah. the field of intercourse. Yeah. How the fuck was that happening with her <laughs> legs at a fucking 90 degree I angle? I love that scene. I love uh, that it. just, just because, didn't like, seem... It was, it was such a blasé response from them where they were just like, hey, get out of here. Right. <laughs> but they didn't they even do that. Some, it was just, they were doing some fun stuff, my, weird thing, my thing was, that just didn't seem like a normal... Hey. From where he was lined up and where her fucking legs they, were, just they were doing don't some think fun to stuff. me. I was just like, "What the hell are they I actually mean, doing?" I mean, it was it was like her legs were sideways, but her body wasn't. If she's like really flexible, I guess that can be pulled off pretty uh, but, easily. My God, yes, yeah. it, it was fun. I thought that was hilarious. 
Oh, it was. To me, though, I was looking at the whole scene, and I was like, what the fuck are they doing? I don't think it's sick. I do love in that scene, though, Arch, who is who also is the same guy who played Biff in Back to the Future, it's literally just, like, a scene following him as he, like, strikes out over and over and over again, and then when he goes back, he can't even jerk off because of the collapsible chairs in his room, mm-hmm. and he completely screws up his motion. He's just, like... He's been cock-blocked by everything, and it's just so funny. Yeah, then he tries hitting on Muffy, and she's like, Yeah, and she's yeah. like, yeah, I know. See you later. <laughs> yeah, especially because that, that's like your typical 80s like jock character. Oh, yeah, with the polo shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I think I they even make a reference when Muffy talks with Kit. Yeah. When she's like, he has two poses. It's... Collar up and collar down. <laughs> yeah, it's make like, a reference to that. I, I love it I mean, just because it's your typical 80s jock who, like, in any other 80s movie, he would have scored with, like, two of those women. And minimum, been the first one killed. Minimum. But in this one, he's just a loser. Mm-hmm. He's just trying and trying and failing and failing, and then he gets killed second in, uh, in the movie. It's just like any other movie, and he's, like, the boyfriend character to the end or whatever, or, like, the big, or the big antagonist besides the actual killer. But in this one, he's just a loser. He can't get with anything. And it's just, I, I love that. It's such a reversal of tropes that I really enjoyed. I also really enjoyed, we were talking about the well scene earlier. Another really hidden hint that this is not what it seems is early in the movie, there's a prank on one of the, one of the friends that she turns the faucet and it just sprays water in her face. I think and that then, was Kit. Yeah, I think it was Kit, too. And she gets water sprayed in her face. And then that happens again at the end of the movie when they're running from Muffy slash Buffy, but the water should have been dead by then. How could that be working? That's because it's all Buffy's scheme and plan to say, oh, the water's not working. No, it is. They did the same thing. They did the same thing with the phone. Initially, when they go to call the authorities, the yeah. line is dead. But then, all of a sudden, while they're sitting there in the dark, Rob gets the call back. Yeah, from the, from from the police officer. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of subtlety in this mm-hmm. movie. Surprisingly. Yeah. I love it more and more. Which makes you wonder if people saw this movie initially, did they sit there the same way you and I are right now and go, "Well, wait a minute. I thought I thought that was in the past. That wait a minute." I think, and this could this could be just me, but I do think there might be a chance that people in the theater. We're watching this expecting your run-of-the-mill teen slasher film. And they're like, I thought the water was out. Ah, whatever. It's just a stupid teen slasher movie. And then at the end, when it all came through, it's that moment you just go, oh. And everything starts falling back into place. And so it's like it it adds like a, a level of depth underneath it that the typical teen slashers of the 80s didn't really have. Which is good. Complexity is a good thing in horror movies. So let's go through, just for backtracking purposes. So yeah. you and I were talking about the well. Yes. Pretty much what it, what's, what we've got going on is we have Arch missing. Yep. We have Skip. Yep. And we have, and we have Nan, who has mysteriously disappeared. And is also the most uh, confrontational with Muffy mm-hmm. throughout the, this movie so far. When she's pro- asking her with that high pitch, yeah. did you think that was funny? Yeah. The video of the crying child. And then she tried following her into the boathouse. There was something that I thought in the movie, I don't know how you felt about it, mm-hmm. but I thought that was a really underrated thing when you're initially watching the movie, when you're, you're not really sure what's going on and what's, yeah. what's going to happen. You see Muffy going to the boathouse where we found the body mm-hmm. already. And then Nan tries following her and can't find her. Yeah. 
when she goes down the steps and she, you know, walks across, you know, the yard. I, I thought there was something else coming there. And I was really surprised when all of a sudden they cut right back to the soccer. You know, they were kicking yeah. the soccer ball and, like, yeah. nothing ever happened. Yeah, that is that is another thing about this movie that is kind of weird is it does suffer from the sort of, someone's dead, oh, well, let's have fun. We're mm-hmm. on an island, you know. Like, granted, the only thing that they know up until that point is that, uh, the one person who may or may not have lost an eye. That's really all they know at that point. So I guess they're like, all right, you know, we came here to have fun. Let's, you know, go with it. But two people are missing at that point, I believe, or at least mm-hmm. one. So it's just, I don't know. It's, 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 again, it's another 80s thing where someone's dead. Hey, but I got a Frisbee. Mm-hmm. And that just takes precedence over everything. Mm-hmm. Which, is kind of sh- funny, which is kind of funny. With, like we mentioned, uh, I mentioned Scream when I was mentioning mm-hmm. horror movies before. It's kind of funny how in Scream... Mm-hmm. They throw in a party. Movies, they throw all those parties. Yeah. And in the second one, when people start disappearing, when Timothy Oliphant yeah. and, you know, um, Billy Loomis's mother yeah. is going around, you know, bringing back the, the I forget what they call him, White Mask. Yeah, the Ghost Face Killer. Ghost Face Killer. Ghost when they're doing killer. that. Not to be confused with the Wu-Tang. How they're going right back to like, oh, well, I've got my, you know, my movie class and my writing thing. And yeah. they're all on the quad doing other things. And it's like, wouldn't you be a little more concerned? Probably. But yeah. College is rough, man. You can't let a murder derail you. That's I, I guess that's true. That's true. You gotta get to class, right? Yeah, man. College is tough. So following that part, we end up with pe- now. Then people do start to get worried when they're all in yeah. the living room. When Chaz, all of a sudden, yeah. the character that does nothing except be that videographer, yeah, making the sarcastic jokes, interviewing everybody. So when the four of them are in there with Rob, when yeah. Rob, Nikki, Chaz, and Kit are all in the living room, yeah. And Chaz starts having that, like, argument with Rob over what the heck is going on. I think we need to, like, get more concerned. Mm-hmm. And then N- Nikki starts packing her bags to leave. Yeah. Um, it's funny how all of a sudden with the movie, like, you get the jokes and then a couple of people. And then we're making the joke about how, you know, everybody's kind of, ah, da 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 yeah. we came to have a good time. All of a sudden they got real serious. And the movie at that point mm-hmm. went from zero to 60. Yeah, which I, I enjoy because it literally, it, it is where we lose a bit of the Muffy killer suspense because everyone else gets really serious. They're like, okay, rest of the rest of the evening, we're staying together 100% of the time. And, then and Muffy's just like, going to my bed. Because you insulted me. Yeah. like By insinuating I may have something to do yeah, with it. And we're like, wait, wait, what? No, we're staying together. And she's like, I'm not. And you're like, oh, damn. That's, like, that's where Muffy literally just like kind of outs herself. Mm-hmm. But, like, no one else in that room is like, okay, so confirmation, Muffy did it. Let's stay away from Buffy now. Right. And, and it's like, since they split up originally, they're okay with the rest of them splitting up. Mm-hmm. But, anyway. And I like how I like how we're all going to stick together, and then we don't actually do we that. Don't do that at all. You know, you had Rob and Kit become their own search party. Yep. You had, you had Nikki packing her bags, and Chaz convincing her to stay. Yep. Uh, by the way, another, another thing from the movie... I just wanted to point out, uh, when Rob and Kit are running out of the bathhouse to find Skip, mm-hmm. it's funny how all of a sudden Rob's hair went from soaking wet to yeah. looking absolutely dry. Yeah. That's 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 the magic of hairspray. For you, for this episode of the podcast, it's Donovan, magic. I paid very keen attention to I details. I noticed. Jesus. I, I did my I'm homework I'm watching it, I'm like, yeah, this is fine. Donovan, I, I did, I did yeah. my homework for you. I was like, I enjoy this movie. Um, that's pretty much it. So while we're getting to the, you know, we're closing in on the middle here, what I really liked about this part of this movie mm-hmm. is the fact that it did go from 0 to 60 because I actually felt like with breaks and everything else, mm-hmm. I felt that the Robin Kit 
search party was the smoothest section right up until the end of the entire movie. Yeah. I felt like everything was very choppy, a little messy at times, yeah. jumping back and forth. Because you had a lot of characters with a lot of character motivations to get over, and I did enjoy mm-hmm. some of them. Like, there was, uh, oh, what's his name? The guy who was, like, the prim and proper, smoking a cigar and a jacket. Mm-hmm. He was just like, I need to go for the country club next weekend. This won't do, kind of character. Mm-hmm. But it's like they all get the, their little things over. So I, they do feel more than just cardboard cutouts, which is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really think once it, once we uh, sort of thin out the herd, so to speak, it does become much more streamlined. Mm-hmm. Once you're following those two, you're like, oh, okay, this is where we're going from zero to 100 because that's also when all the... The Buffy stuff happens. The Muffy actually is her twin sister, Buffy, who's who's violently insane. And you're like, oh, God. How did you feel about them throwing that wrench in, considering that at this point in the movie, the other thing that should be assigned to people is the fact that Muffy's the only character we never follow in the movie. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I get why you would bring in something like that, because it, it's more dramatic. And also that each of the characters in some way, shape, or form know Muffy. Mm-hmm. So for her to act so wildly out of character, I think it's more believable to be like, it's her twin sister that we never heard of, rather than she just went crazy. It's like why? What provoked? So that? you're okay with the way they I'm presented okay that and the it. way they kind of threw? All of a sudden, they find the boat Again, that randomly has the note. Yeah, I'm also okay with it, based on what the twist is. Which I think at this point, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. The twist is none of them actually are killed. It's all an April Fool's joke. Remember when we talked earlier about how all these kids are college kids in their senior year, wondering what they're going to do? Well, Muffy, the house that they're on on the island is what she inherited, but she can't really afford to keep it. So her plan is to run a sort of bed and breakfast slash whodunit murder mystery for people, which, A, is a great idea, and I want to go there tomorrow with my friends. But, B, I think is a really ingenious idea for this whole movie to have those sort of extraordinary things like a twin sister because that's so that's so cinematic that's so separated from reality where in a whodunit dinner party murder mystery that I'm going to it would be a way for me to like connect back to reality I guess because so, I'm, I'm just kind of assuming like let's say that all of us all of us you and me and a bunch of our friends went to this murder mystery house <laughs> and then you know, I like I wouldn't buy so much if it was like, okay, well JB's been murdered, probably by Dan. I'd be like, wait, what? But if we were going in the basement and we're like, Dan actually had a twin brother named Stan that we've never heard of. I'd be like, oh, okay, it's one of those things. It's fun. It's something to do over the top, and it's something to like sort of separate yourself from the absolutely horrible situation you're going through. So I feel like that's that sort of stuff would be really fun to do in this kind of environment. Cause I I think the twist the first time I saw it it broke the movie and the second time I saw it it made the movie. Cause when I saw it again I was like wow, this is really cool. It's a clever idea for a college senior to come up with to make money outside of college and it explains away so many plot holes and in so many different situations. Like there's a scene where we assume the Muffy went in to see Chaz and Nikki, Nikki. and we assume kills both of them. Muffy is not the biggest person on the planet. I don't know how she would manage to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't care how big the knife she's got is. Well, don't forget, it was a different order because Nikki leaves momentarily initially when she's freaking out about leaving and Chaz is convincing her to stay. Yeah. And then we find Chaz laid out on the bed, um, dis- 
member. Yeah, yeah. He he loses. He gets his dick chopped off. See, I'm tr- I was trying to dance around it. Yeah, he's, he got his dick chopped off, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just saying the amount of effort she would have to go through to not only because it seemed like that's the only cut he had in his body. Mm-hmm. So the amount of effort she would have to go through to not only kill him but kill him solely through dick chopping would be immense. Is all I'm saying. I, and he would have blood out more. It, yeah, it would makes it makes a whole lot more sense for her to be like. Hey, this whole thing is a murder mystery. Let me put a blood stain on your pants, make it look like your dick's been chopped off. And he's like, "Ah, oh, cool. I, I get it now. I'm in on the joke." Like it makes all of those scenes of improbability and inconsistency consistent, and I like that. Maybe if I watch the movie a second time, because you're telling so me about the second time yeah. when you get a better idea. Maybe if I watch it a second time, whereas yeah. for this, I did it as prep work. Yeah. And I was kind of trying to take notes while it was going on. Then yeah. I st- kind of made a few observations as I went along. I think maybe if I watch it again like you did, yeah. maybe I would get that sense of, a you know, why the movie was better as it is. I still enjoyed it, like I was oh, yeah. saying to you initially, more than I thought I would. But I think I think you're right. Maybe it's one of those movies you have to watch more than once. Yeah. And you'll have an even better appreciation for what you saw. Yeah, because it's a, it's a thing where it's been stated, it's been proven that people tend to enjoy things more when they know how it ends. Because you don't focus on the you don't focus on the ending, you focus on the journey. So it's one of those things. While I, when you know what the ending is, you can sort of fill in those holes and like ask questions, and you get immediate answers because you already know what's happening. You're like, oh, that's why she kicked the snake away because she didn't want him to be actually attacked because she's just her friend playing a joke. Oh, that's why she wasn't freaking out that her brother was a you know is gone because she knows it's fake. It's all good. And like any question you can have in the movie. That's why the water still works. That's why the phones still work, because it's all a prank. It's just it smooths everything out and makes you like, oh, this is this is fun. Especially because like that ending scene where she you know she runs through, she's running away from Buffy and she's and that's you know, Nikki. Yeah. Where Nikki's running away from Buffy. The boyfriend has been thrown to the side, or whatever, he's locked up in a closet, Chaz. Chaz. Nikki goes through the door and they're all just like sitting there, you know, one's playing, one's stacking cards, one's reading the book. That's such an effective plot twist with like no music, no lines even for a second. Or just it lets it just shows you this scene of everyone you know is dead being alive, and it just lets it sink in for itself. And that what I enjoyed about that scene yeah. is the fact they didn't do anything, and then it seemed like everyone was still ignoring her because nobody moved, yeah. nobody looked at her, nobody looked up, nobody said anything. Yeah, she just looks at them and she's like, "What's?" Yeah, she's happening? probably thinking, "I'm already dead. I'm, I'm seeing I'm, this. I'm going crazy or right. something." And you're just like, it just sinks in for you. Like, wait a minute. And even when what's happening, Buffy yeah. is following her into the room. Yeah. Even she opens the door and just looks. Yeah. And doesn't say anything. Yeah. I can imagine when you're watching this, like I was for the yeah. first time, you're like, is she having a vision? Yeah. Like, is she going to die? Yeah. Is this how it ends? And then, of course, obviously. And then April Fool's low. And then it's you had so Because then while she's doing that, you find Chaz reconnects with Buck. Yeah. Randomly out of the blue. Yeah. And, and then. Just- He's still freaking out while they're all laughing, like, oh, no. Everyone's just joking around laughing. It's so much, it's like, and then you're laughing at him, like, ah, what a loser. And the fact that he hasn't even noticed he's wearing Chaz's injury on the other side of his face. He's like, oh, no, what's that? Oh, oh, we're cool. Oh, I'm dumb. And then everybody has that grand, oh, what a great time. And, and, And you know, Muffy. We we reveal that it's a, a plan for her to make money after college, which is a genius. It's just, it's such a satisfying reveal. But I think a lot of plot twists do kind of overdo it. They, you know, 
they have the dramatic music, the you know slow pan oh, yeah. reveals mm-hmm. of just like dawn, dawn, dawn. Whereas this one was a very refreshing, like, different take. Yeah, it's just like oh, by the way, this happens. And you're like, wait a minute, what? So you're telling, oh. so you're telling me this was all a fake? <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, <laughs> what I love too is I didn't even realize it when I when I saw it either time. It was it wasn't until I you know really looked back on it. The girl who plays Kit is the lead in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Another slasher whodunit kind of thing that has a really mm-hmm. it's I mean it's not that great but it's interesting and it also it has another sort of cat scare scene you know the random I'm looking in this house what's happening oh no a cat for no apparent reason is a jump scare same thing happened in Friday the 13th part 2 and it's just it's I find that to be entertaining oh, and how, the cat and, scares and, are always so weird and how ironic, because she got a... Oh, just kidding, you're not really dying in Friday the 13th also. Yeah, she did some stuff. <laughs> you talked in the very beginning. Yes. You mentioned how this movie, it was very... Like the two guys with the bed. Mm-hmm. I thought there was another example of that. Did it seem to you mm-hmm. that last scene when Buffy's back in her room and yeah. Nana's in there playing the joke about slashing her? Yeah. Did that seem a little more intimate... Uh, no. With the two of them? I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking Maybe I'm just much. a sick, perverted mind. Maybe. But. It is the only one of the fake kills that I actually see on camera and has fake blood involved. Mm-hmm. Which I do think is interesting. That almost like she was sort of taking it further than Muffy would. I think that's an interesting thing to go to. Imagine if that was our ending. Yeah, actually, I was going to bring up. There is an alternate ending that was filmed... And I believe it's in the novelization of the movie, but it is not in the actual movie. That's much, much darker. And what is that alternate? That is after Muffy reveals the whole weekend was a setup. The guests leave except for Rob, Kit, Chaz, and Nikki. And they go back and they're like, oh, we're going to get back at Muffy for this you know, April Fool's Day prank. However, when they return, Skip um, cracks and attempts to kill Muffy in a rage of jealousy. I guess about inheritance or something like that. I mean, Rob jumps in and saves Muffy, which kills Skip in the process. It was filmed, but didn't make the final cut because they wanted for a more upbeat conclusion. Very weird. But it's a slasher movie. It is, but movies, more often than not, still have to end happily. You can get away with sad endings in books much more frequently, and short stories, definitely. And even short films. With feature-length films that people spend an hour and a half, they tend to want to walk away with a smile on their face, even if it is... A bloody, bloody slasher, or a bloodless slasher, as this one is. I kind of like the ending, but I also think we didn't spend enough time with Skip to get that kind of plot twist from him. Oh yeah, that's true. I think I think we got enough motivation out of him to be like, oh yeah, that's a scene out of that. Since we didn't know he was her brother until the very end, also when when everything everything truly got revealed. Oh, it was great. So everybody pops their you know fifty thousand bottles of champagne and has a grand old time. Yeah, talking about needing money for after college, save some money on champagne, Muffy. How about that? Yeah, you don't t- need a please. You don't in, need to run a murder house. What are you in, spending? In what alternative on universe do college kids have money for absolutely nothing but plenty of money for alcohol? I mean, please. Here's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying if it was a bunch of college kids getting together for a party, you know damn well it's just an endless supply of bottom shelf vodka and nothing else. How's this any different? It's champagne. This costs costs money. Maybe she inherited that. I mean, maybe it's inheritance. Maybe it's cheap champagne. 
but it's most but a college party is bottom shelf vodka. Eh, you didn't party much with me in college, did you, Chris? I didn't. <laughs> but I've been to a couple. I know how they work, my friend. You know, God, I I've been to a lot of parties. Not I have never seen a glass of champagne pop at any of them. Damn. Even even at New Year's parties. <laughs> That's the thing to, to do, supposedly. So let's do some, some closing thoughts. I thought April Fool's Day, when I first saw it, was just a passable, kind of fun twist on a slasher. But the second time I watched it, I would encourage anyone who is listening to this who's only seen it once to go and revisit it. Especially if you watched it like a few years ago and you were a younger person like I was when I watched it. Go watch it again with some more, some more years on you. And I think you have a deeper appreciation for it and how the story unfolds. I thought April Fool's Day was a treat to watch. So it wasn't fool's gold. It was not. I was not fooled into watching this one. Boy, howdy <laughs> puns. I agree. I think I'm going to watch it a second time. And then maybe I'll, you know, be able to fill more gaps like you and I have talked about. Yeah. And I think I enjoyed the movie enough to where it was quite enjoyable. Definitely, guys. If you have not seen April Fool's Day, tis the season. It's April 1st. I would encourage you guys to go out and watch it. It's pro- you can probably find it for two bucks on a, D- on a DVD somewhere. Or you can find it for free on YouTube. Probably. Oh, yeah, since all the parts are on YouTube, go check it out. Because <laughs> that's how I watch it. Yeah, it's all on YouTube, guys. <laughs> so should we watch the remake, Christopher? I might watch the remake now. Just because, you know, just because the movie... So just because someone says the movie is bad does not mean it doesn't have redeeming qualities. And I encourage... Like, if you've ever seen a movie review and you say, I don't want to watch it because of a review, don't. If you think the movie is for you, you go out and watch it. Oh, absolutely. Some of my favorite movies, some of the movies I've had the best time watching are movies that have like 4% on Rotten Tomatoes tops. We did. It was called The Pyramids. Oh, The Pyramids so much fun. Yeah. Oh, it's totally getting an episode. <laughs> it's totally getting an episode <laughs> oh, of this my, podcast. What, what have I done? The movie's terrible and I love it. So uh, maybe, we should, maybe we should watch the remake? We could have a follow-up. We could. Next year, April Fool's Day 2, the the fooling. This time, it's it's foolish. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Professional Horror Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, at ProHorrorCast. Or if you want to talk to me you know, a little more intimately, you want to send an email about something, that's a professionalhorror at gmail.com. As always, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. It helps out the podcast a lot. And it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside when I read words about how this is okay and you guys are all right with it. So we'll see you guys next week. Same, Staying with Ryan Spooner as we list our top 10 fake-out finishes in horror movies. We'll see you next week. Have a good April Fool's Day, guys. You're Chris Donovan. I sure am Chris Donovan. <laughs>